six, one head to the ground, both horse and man, then starting up immediately, both drew their swords and rushed swiftly together, and so they fell to eagerly, and gave each other many great and mighty strokes, and as they were thus fighting, the damsel Vivian, lady of the lake, who loved King Arthur, came upon the ground, for she knew by her enchantments how Morgan Lee Fay had craftily devised to have King Arthur slain by his own sword that day, and therefore came to save his life, and Arthur and Sir Ocolon were now grown hot against each other, and spared not strength nor fury in their fierce assaults, but the king's sword gave way continually before Sir Ocolon's, so that at every stroke he was sore wounded, and his blood ran from him so fast that it was a marvel he could stand, when King Arthur saw the ground so sore be blooded, he bethought him in dismay that there was magic treason worked upon him, and that his own true sword was changed, for it seemed to him that the sword in Sir Apollon's hand was Excalibur, for fearfully it drew his blood at every blow, while what he held himself kept no sharp edge, nor fell with any force upon his foe. Now, knight, look to thyself, and keep thee well from me, cried out Sir Apollon. But King Arthur answered not, and gave him such a buffet on the helm as made him stagger and nigh fall upon the ground. Then Sir Apollon withdrew a little, and came on with Excalibur on high, and smote King Arthur in return with such a mighty stroke as almost felled him, and both being now in hottest wrath, they gave each other grievous and savage blows. But Arthur all the time was losing so much blood that scarcely could he keep upon his feet yet so full was he of knighthood, that nightly he endured the pain and still sustained himself, though now he was so feeble that he thought himself about to die, Sir Apollon, as yet, had lost no drop of blood, and being very bold and confident in Excalibur, even grew more vigorous and hasty in his assaults, but all men who beheld them said they never saw a knight fight half so well as did King Arthur, and all the people were so grieved for him that they besought Sir Adamas and Sir Outslake to make up their quarrel and so stay the fight, but they would, not, so still the battle raged, till Arthur drew a little back for breath and a few moments rest, but Ocolon came on after him, following fiercely and crying loud, It is no time for me to suffer thee to rest, and therewith set upon him. Then Arthur, full of scorn and rage, lifted up his sword and struck Sir Ocolon upon the helm so mightily that he drove him to his knees, but with the force of that great stroke his brittle, treacherous sword broke short off at the hilt and fell down in the grass among the blood, leaving the pommel only in his hand, at that, King Arthur thought within himself that all was over, and secretly prepared his mind for death, yet kept himself so nightly sheltered by his shield that he lost no ground, and made as though he yet had hope and cheer, then said Sir Apollon, Sir Knight, thou now art overcome and canst endure no longer, seeing thou art weaponless, and hast lost already so much blood, Yet am I fully loath to slay thee, yield, then, therefore, to me as recreant. Nay, said King Arthur, that may I not, for I have promised to do battle to the uttermost by the faith of my body while my life lasteth, and I had rather die with honor than live with shame, and if it were possible for me to die an hundred times, I had rather die as often than yield me to thee, for though I lack weapons, I shall lack no worship, and it shall be to my shame to slay me weaponless. Aha! shouted then Sir Apollon, as for the shame, I will not spare, look to thyself, Sir Knight, for thou art even now but a dead man, therewith he drove at him with pitiless force, and struck him nearly down, but Arthur ever more waxing in valor as he waned in blood, 
pressed on Surakolon with his shield, and hit at him so fiercely with the pommel in his hand, as hurled him three strides backwards. This, therefore, so confused Surakolon, that rushing up, all dizzy, to deliver once again a furious blow, even as he struck, Excalibur, by Vivian's magic, fell from out his hands upon the earth, beholding which, King Arthur lightly sprang to it, and grasped it, and forthwith felt it was his own good sword, and said to it, Thou hast been from me all too long, and done me too much damage, then spying the scabbard hanging by Sir Ocolon's side, he sprang and pulled it from him, and cast it away as far as he could throw it, for so long as he had worn it, Arthur knew his life would have been kept secure, oh, knight, then said the king, thou hast this day wrought me much damage by this sword, but now art thou come to thy death, for I shall not warrant thee but that thou shalt suffer, ere we part, somewhat of that thou hast made me suffer, and therewithal King Arthur flew at him with all his might, and pulled him to the earth, and then struck off his helm, and gave him on the head a fearful buffet, till the blood leaked forth, now will I slay thee, cried King Arthur, for his heart was hardened, and his body all on fire with fever, till for a moment he forgot his nightly mercy. Slay me thou mayest, said Sir Apollon, for thou art the best knight I ever found, and I see well that God is with thee, and I as thou hast, have promised to fight this battle to the uttermost, and never to be recreant while I live, therefore shall I never yield me with my mouth, and God must do with my body what he will. And as Sir Apollon spoke, King Arthur thought he knew his voice, and parting all his blood-stained hair from out his eyes, and leaning down towards him, saw, indeed, it was his friend and own true knight, then said he keeping his own visor down, I pray thee tell me of what country art thou, and what court, Sir Knight, he answered, I am of King Arthur's court, and my name is Sir Apollon of Gaul, then said the king, oh, Sir Knight, I pray thee tell me who gave thee this sword, and from whom thou hadst it, then said Sir Apollon, Woe a word of this sword, for by it I have gotten my death. This sword hath been in my keeping now for almost twelve months, and yesterday Queen Morgan Fay, wife of King Urenz, sent it to me by a dwarf, that therewith I might in some way slay her brother, King Arthur, for thou must understand that King Arthur is the man she hates most in all the world, being full of envy and jealousy because he is of greater worship and renown than any other of her blood. She loveth me also as much as she doth hate him, and if she might contrive to slay King Arthur by her craft and magic, then would she straightway kill her husband also, and make me the king of all this land, and herself my queen, to reign with me, but now, said he, all that is over, for this day I am come to my death, it would have been sore treason of thee to destroy my lord, said Arthur, thou sayest truly, answered he, but now that I have told thee, and openly confess to thee all that foul treason whereof I now do bitterly repent. Tell me, I pray thee, whence art thou, and of what court? O Sir Apollon, said King Arthur, learn that I am myself King Arthur. When Sir Apollon heard this he cried aloud, Alas, my gracious lord, have mercy on me, for I knew thee not. Thou shalt have mercy, said he, for thou knewest not my person at this time and though by thine own confession thou art a traitor, yet do I blame thee less, because thou hast been blinded by the false crafts of my sister Morgan Fay, whom I have trusted more than all others of my kin, and whom I now shall know well how to punish. Then did Sir Apollon cry loudly, O lords, 
and all good people. This noble knight that I have fought with is the noblest and most worshipful in all the world, for it is King Arthur, our liege lord and sovereign king, and full sorely I repent that I have ever lifted lance against him, though in ignorance I did it. Then all the people fell down on their knees and prayed the pardon of the king for suffering him to come to such a strait. But he replied, Pardon ye cannot have, for, truly, ye have nothing sinned, but here ye see what ill adventure may oft times befall knights errant, for to my own hurt, and his danger also, I have fought with one of my own knights. Then the king commanded Sir Adamus to surrender to his brother the whole manor, Sir Outslake only yielding him a palfrey every year, for, said he scornfully, it would become thee better to ride on in a courser, and ordered Damas, upon pain of death, never again to touch or to distress knights errant riding on their adventures, and also to make full compensation and satisfaction to the twenty knights whom he had held in prison, and if any of them, said the king, come to my court complaining that he hath not had full satisfaction of thee for his injuries, by my head, thou shalt die therefore, afterwards. King Arthur asked Sir Outslake to come with him to his court, where he should become a knight of his, and, if his deeds were noble, be advanced to all he might desire. So then he took his leave of all the people and mounted upon horseback, and Sir Apollon went with him to an abbey hard by, where both their wounds were addressed. But Sir Apollon died within four days after, and when he was dead, the king sent his body to Queen Morgan, to Camelot saying that he sent her a present in return for the sword Excalibur which she had sent him by the damsel. So, on the morrow, there came a damsel from Queen Morgan to the king, and brought with her the richest mantle that ever was seen, for it was set as full of precious stones as they could stand against each other, and they were the richest stones that ever the king saw. And the damsel said, Your sister sendeth you this mantle, and preneth you to take her gift, and in whatsoever thing she hath offended you. She will amend it at your pleasure. To this the king replied not, although the mantle pleased him much. With that came in the lady of the lake, and said, Sir, put not on this mantle till thou hast seen more, and in no wise let it be put upon thee, or any of thy knights, till ye have made the bringer of it first put it on her. It shall be done as thou dost counsel, said the king. Then said he to the damsel that came from his sister, Damsel, I would see this mantle ye have brought me upon yourself. Sir, said she, it will not beseem me to wear a knight's garment. By my head, said King Arthur, thou shalt wear it ere it go on any other person's back. And so they put it on her by force, and forthwith the garment burst into a flame and burned the damsel into cinders. When the king saw that, he hated that false which Morgan Le Fay with all his heart, and evermore was deadly quarrel between her and Arthur to their lives' end. Chapter VIII King Arthur Conquers Rome and is crowned emperor and now again the second time there came ambassadors from Lucius Tiberius, emperor of Rome, demanding, under pain of war, tribute and homage from King Arthur, and the restoration of all Gaul, which he had conquered from the tribune Flalo. When they had delivered their message, the king bade them withdraw while he consulted with his knights and barons what reply to send, then some of the younger knights would have slain the ambassadors saying that their speech was a rebuke to all who heard the king insulted by it. But when King Arthur heard that, he ordered none to touch them upon pain of death, and sending officers, he had them taken to a noble lodging, and there entertained with the best cheer, and, said he, let no dainty be spared, for the Romans are great lords, and though their message please me not, 
yet must I remember mine honor. Then the lords and knights of the round table were called on to declare their counsel what should be done upon this matter, and Sir Arcadre of Cornwall speaking first, said, Sir, this message is the best news I have heard for a long time, for we have been now idle and at rest for many days, and I trust that thou wilt make sharp war upon the Romans, wherein, I doubt not, we shall all gain honor. I believe well, said Arthur, that thou art pleased, Sir Arcadre, but that is scarce an answer to the Emperor of Rome, and his demand doth grieve me sorely, for truly I will never pay him tribute, wherefore, lords, I pray ye counsel me, now, I have understood that Polinus and Brennies, knights of Britain, held the Roman Empire in their hands for many days, and also Constantine, the son of Helen, which is open evidence, not only that we owe Rome no tribute, but that I being descended from them, may, of right, myself claim the empire, then said King Anguish of Scotland, Sir, thou oughtest of right to be above all other kings, for in all Christendom is there not thine equal, and I counsel thee never to obey the Romans, for when they reigned here they grievously distressed us, and put the land to great and heavy burdens, and here, for my part, I swear to avenge me on them when I may and will furnish thee with twenty thousand men at arms, whom I will pay and keep, and who shall wait on thee with me, when it shall please thee. Then the king of Little Britain rose and promised King Arthur thirty thousand men, and likewise many other kings, and dukes, and barons, promised aid as the lord of West Wales thirty thousand men, Sir Ewayne and his cousin thirty thousand men, and so forth, Sir Lancelot also, and every other knight of the round table, promised each man a great host. So the king, passing joyful at their courage and goodwill, thanked them all heartily, and sent for the ambassadors again, to hear his answer. I will, said he, that ye now go back straightway unto the emperor your master and tell him that I give no heed to his words, for I have conquered all my kingdoms by the will of God and by my own right arm, and I am strong enough to keep them, without paying tribute to any earthly creature. But, on the other hand, I claim both tribute and submission from himself, and also claim the sovereignty of all his empire, whereto I am entitled by the right of my own ancestors sometime kings of this land, and say to him that I will shortly come to Rome, and by God's grace will take possession of my empire and subdue all rebels, wherefore, lastly, I command him and all the lords of Rome that they forthwith pay me their homage, under pain of my chastisement and wrath. Then he commanded his treasurers to give the ambassadors great gifts, and defray all their charges, and appointed Sir Arcadre to convey them worshipfully out of the land. So when they returned to Rome and came before Lucius, he was sore angry at their words, and said, I thought this Arthur would have instantly obeyed my orders and have served me as humbly as any other king, but because of his fortune in call, he hath grown insolent. Ah, Lord, said one of the ambassadors. Refrain from such vain words, for truly I and all with me were fearful at his royal majesty and angry countenance. I fear me thou hast made a rod for thee more sharp than thou hast counted on. He meaneth to be master of this empire, and is another kind of man than thou supposest, and holdeth the most noble court of all the world. We saw him on the New Year's Day, served at his table by nine kings, and the noblest company of other princes, lords and knights that ever was in all the world, and in his person he is the most manly seeming man that live, and look at like to conquer all the earth. Then Lucius sent messengers to all the subject countries of Rome, and brought together a mighty army, 
and assembled sixteen kings, and many dukes, princes, lords, and admirals, and a wondrous great multitude of people, fifty giants also, born of fiends, were set around him for a bodyguard, with all that host he straightway went from Rome, and passed beyond the mountains into Gaul, and burned the towns and ravaged all the country of that province, enraged for its submission to King Arthur, then he moved on towards Little Britain, meanwhile, King Arthur having held a parliament at York, left the realm in charge of Sir Bodwine and Sir Constantine, and crossed the sea from Sandwich to meet Lucius, and so soon as he was landed, he sent Sir Gawain, Sir Bors, Sir Lionel, and Sir Bedivier to the Emperor, commanding him to move swiftly and in haste out of his land, and, if not, to make himself ready for battle, and not continue ravaging the country and slaying harmless people, and on. Those noble knights attired themselves and set forth on horseback to where they saw, in a meadow, many silken tents of diverse colors, and the emperor's pavilion in the midst, with a golden eagle set above it. Then Sir Gawain and Sir Bors rode forward, leaving the other two behind in ambush, and gave King Arthur's message, to which the emperor replied, Return, and tell your lord that I am come to conquer him and all his land. At this, Sir Gawain burned with anger, and cried out, I had rather than all France that I might fight with thee alone, and I also, said Sir Bors. Then a knight named Gaines, a near cousin of the Emperor, laughed out aloud, and said, Lo, how these Britons boast and are full of pride, bragging as though they bear up all the world. At these words, Sir Gawain could refrain no longer, but drew forth his sword and with one blow shore off Gaines' head, then with Sir Bors. He turned his horse and rode over waters and through woods, back to the ambush, where Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivier were waiting. The Romans followed fast behind them till the knights turned and stood, and then Sir Bors smote the foremost of them through the body with a spear, and slew him on the spot. Then came on Caliber, a huge pavilion, but Sir Bors overthrew him also, and then the company of Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivier break from their ambush and fell on the Romans, and slew and hewed them down and forced them to return and flee, chasing them to their tents, but as they neared the camp, a great host more rushed forth, and turned the battle backwards, and in the turmoil, Sir Bors and Sir Burrell fell into the Romans' hands, when Sir Gawain saw that, he drew his good sword below time, and swore to see King Arthur's face no more if those two knights were not delivered, and then, with good Sir Idris, made so sore an onslaught that the Romans fled and left Sir Bors and Sir Burrell to their friends, so the Britons returned in triumph to King Arthur, having slain more than ten thousand Romans, and lost no man of wordership from amongst themselves. When the Emperor Lucius heard of that discomfiture he arose, with all his army, to crush King Arthur, and met him in the Vale of Swasaw, then speaking to all his host, he said, Sirs, I admonish you that this day ye fight and acquit yourselves as men, and remembering how Rome is chief of all the earth, and mistress of the universal world, suffer not these barbarous and savage Britons to abide our onset. At that, the trumpets blew so loud, that the ground trembled and shook. Then did the rival hosts draw near each other with great shoutings, and when they closed, no tongue can tell the fury of their smiting, and the sore struggling, wounds, and slaughter. Then King Arthur, with his mightiest knights, rode down into the thickest of the fight, and drew Excalibur, and slew as lightning slays for swiftness and for force, and in the midmost crowd he met a giant, Galapaz by name, 
and struck off both his legs at the knee joints, then saying, Now art thou better size to deal with, smote his head off at a second blow, and the body killed six men in falling down, and on. King Arthur spied where Lucius fought and worked great deeds of prowess with his own hands, forthwith he rode at him, and each attacked the other passing fiercely, till at the last, Lucius struck King Arthur with a fearful wound across the face, and Arthur, in return, lifting up Excalibur on high, drove it with all his force upon the emperor's head, shivering his helmet, crashing his head in halves, and splitting his body to the breast. And when the Romans saw their emperor dead they fled in hosts of thousands, and King Arthur and his knights, and all his army followed them, and slew one hundred thousand men. Then returning to the field, King Arthur rode to the place where Lucius lay dead, and round him the kings of Egypt and Ethiopia, and seventeen other kings, with sixty Roman senators, all noble men. All these he ordered to be carefully embalmed with aromatic gums, and laid in leaden coffins covered with their shields and arms and banners, then calling for three senators who were taken prisoners, he said to them, as the ransom of your lives, I will that ye take these dead bodies and carry them to Rome, and there present them for me, with these lepers saying I will myself be shortly there, and I suppose the Romans will beware how they again ask tribute of me, for tell them, these dead bodies that I send them are for the tribute they have dared to ask of me, and if they wish for more, when I come I will pay them the rest. So, with that charge, the three senators departed with the dead bodies, and went to Rome, the body of the emperor being carried in a chariot blazoned with the arms of the empire, all alone, and the bodies of the kings two and two in chariots following. After the battle, King Arthur entered Lorraine, Brabant, and Flanders, and thence, subduing all the countries as he went, passed into Germany and so beyond the mountains into Lombardy and Tuscany. At length he came before a city which refused to obey him, wherefore he sat down before it to besiege it. And after a long time thus spent, King Arthur called Sir Florence, and told him they began to lack food for his hosts, and not far from hence, said he, are great forests full of cattle belonging to my enemies. Go then, and bring by force all that thou canst find, and take with thee Sir Gawain, my nephew and Sir Eclegis, Sir Eclairman the captain of Cardiff, and a strong band, and on, those knights made ready, and rode over holts and hills, and through forests and woods, till they came to a great meadow full of fair flowers and grass, and there they rested themselves and their horses that night, and at the dawn of the next day, Sir Gawain took his horse and rode away from his fellows to seek some adventure, soon he saw an armed knight walking his horse by a wood's side, with his shield laced to his shoulder, and no attendant with him save a page, bearing a mighty spear, and on his shield were ablazoned three gold griffins, when Sir Gawain spied him, he put his spear in rest, and riding straight to him, asked who he was, a Tuscan, said he, and they mayest prove me when thou wilt, for thou shalt be my prisoner ere we part, then said Sir Gawain, thou vauntest thee greatly, and speakest proud words, yet I counsel thee, for all thy boastings, look to thyself the best thou canst, at that they took their spears and ran at each other with all the might they had, and smote each other through their shields into their shoulders, and then drawing swords smote with great strokes, till the fire sprang out of their helms, then was Sir Gawain enraged, and with his good sword Galotine struck his enemy through shield and hauberk, and splintered into pieces all the precious stones of it, and made so huge a wound that men might see both lungs and liver, at that the Tuscan, groaning loudly, 
rushed on to Sir Gawain, and gave him a deep slanting stroke, and made a mighty wound and cut a great vein asunder, so that he bled fast. Then he cried out, Bind thy wound quickly up, Sir Knight, for thou be bloodest all thy horse and thy fair armor, and all the surgeons of the world shall never staunch thy blood, for so shall it be to whomsoever is hurt with this good sword. Then answered Sir Gawain, It grieveth me but little, and thy boastful words give me no fear, for thou shalt suffer greater grief and sorrow ere we part, but tell me quickly who can staunch this blood, that can I do, said the strange knight, and will, if thou wilt aid and succor me to become christened, and to believe on God, which now I do require of thee upon my manhood, I am content, said Sir Gawain, and may God help me to grant all thy wishes, but tell me first, what thoughtest thou thus here alone, and of what land art thou, sir, said the knight, my name is Priones, and my father is a great prince, who hath rebelled against Rome, he is descended from Alexander and Hector, and of our lineage also were Joshua and Maccabeus, I am of right the king of Alexandria, and Africa, and all the outer isles, yet I would believe in the Lord thou worshipest, and for thy labor I will give thee treasure enough, I was so proud in heart that I thought none my equal, but now have I encountered with thee, who hast given me my fill of fighting, wherefore, I pray thee, Sir Knight, tell me of thyself, I am no knight, said Sir Gawain, I have been brought up many years in the wardrobe of the noble prince King Arthur, to mind his armor and array, ah, said Priones, if his varlets be so keen and fierce, his knights must be passing good, now, for the love of heaven, whether thou be knight or knave, tell me thy name, by heaven, said Gawain, now will I tell thee the truth, my name is Sir Gawain, and I am a knight of the round table, now am I better pleased, said Priones, than if thou hadst given me all the province of Paris the rich, I had rather have been torn by wild horses than that any varlet should have won such victory over me as thou hast done, but now, Sir Knight, I warn thee that close by is the Duke of Lorraine, with sixty thousand good men of war, and we had both best flee at once, for he will find us else, and we be sorely wounded and never likely to recover, and let my page be careful that he blow no horn, for hard by are a hundred knights, my servants, and if they seize thee, no ransom of gold or silver would acquit thee, then Sir Gawain rode over a river to save himself, and Sir Priones after him, and so they both fled till they came to his companions who were in the meadow, where they spent the night, when Sir Wishard saw Sir Gawain so hurt, he ran to him weeping, and asked him who it was had wounded him, and Sir Gawain told him how he had fought with that man pointing to Priones who had selves to heal them both, but I can tell ye other tidings, said he, that soon we must encounter many enemies, for a great army is close to us in our front, then Priones and Sir Gawain alighted and let their horses graze while they unarmed, and when they took their armor and their clothing off, the hot blood ran down freshly from their wounds till it was piteous to see, but Priones took from his page a vial filled from the four rivers that flow out of paradise, and anointed both their wounds with a certain bomb, and washed them with that water, and within an hour afterwards they were both as sound and whole as ever they had been, then, at the sound of a trumpet, all the knights were assembled to council, and after much talking, Priones said, Cease your words, for I warn you in yonder wood ye shall find knights out of number, who will put out cattle for a decoy to lead you on, and ye are not seven hundred. Nevertheless, said Sir Gawain, 
let us at once encounter them, and see what they can do, and may the best have the victory. Then they saw suddenly an earl named Sir Ethelwold, and the Duke of Dutman come leaping out of ambush of the woods in front, with many a thousand after them, and all rode straight down to the battle, and Sir Gawain, full of order and courage, comforted his knights, saying, They all are ours. Then the seven hundred knights, in one close company, set spurs to their horses and began to gallop, and fiercely met their enemies, and then were men and horses slain and overthrown on every side, and in and out amidst them all, the knights of the round table pressed and thrust, and smote down to the earth all who withstood them, till at length the whole of them turned back and fled. By heaven, said Sir Gawain, this gladneth well my heart, for now behold them as they flee. They are full seventy thousand less in number than they were an hour ago. Thus was the battle quickly ended, and a great host of high lords and knights of Lombardy and Saracens left dead upon the field. Then Sir Gawain and his company collected a great plenty of cattle, and of gold and silver, and all kind of treasure, and returned to King Arthur, where he still kept the siege. Now God be thanked, cried he, but who is he that standeth yonder by himself, and seemeth not a prisoner, Sir? said Sir Gawain, he is a good man with his weapons, and hath matched me, but cometh hither to be made a Christian, had it not been for his warnings, we none of us should have been here this day, I pray thee, therefore, let him be baptized, for there can be few nobler men, or better knights, so Priones was christened, and made a duke and knight of the round table, presently afterwards, they made a last attack upon the city, and entered by the walls on every side, and as the men were rushing to the pillage, came the duchess forth, with many ladies and damsels, and kneeled before King Arthur, and besought him to receive their submission, to whom the king made answer, with a noble countenance, Madam, be well assured that none shall harm ye, or your ladies, neither shall any that belong to thee be hurt, but the duke must abide my judgment, then he commanded to stay the assault and took the keys from the duke's eldest son, who brought them kneeling, and on the duke was sent a prisoner to Dover for his life, and rents and taxes were assigned for dowry of the duchess and her children, then went he on with all his hosts, winning all towns and castles, and wasting them that refused obedience, till he came to Viterbo, from thence he sent to Rome, to ask the senators whether they would receive him for their lord and governor, in answer, came out to him all the senate who remained alive, and the cardinals, with a majestic retinue and procession, and laying great treasures at his feet, they prayed him to come in at once to Rome, and there be peaceably crowned as emperor, at this next Christmas, said King Arthur, will I be crowned, and hold my round table in your city, and on he entered Rome, in mighty pomp and state, and after him came all his hosts, and his knights, and princes, and great lords, arrayed in gold and jewels, such as never were beheld before, and then was he crowned emperor by the Pope's hands, with all the highest solemnity that could be made, then after his coronation, he abode in Rome for a season, settling his lands and giving kingdoms to his knights and servants, to each one after his deserving, and in such wise fashion that no man among them all complained, also he made many dukes and earls, and loaded all his men at arms with riches and great treasures, when all this was done, the lords and knights, and all the men of great estate, came together before him, and said, Noble Emperor, by the blessing of Eternal God, thy mortal warfare is all finished, and thy conquests say. Eh?